0: Okay, we're doing now Monday's portion of Shemite of Exodus, of the first portion of the second book of the five books. The book of Exodus, the portion of Exodus. And yesterday, we discussed the beginning of the enslavement of the Jews, how the king, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, and the people plotted this enslavement of the Jewish people, and then as they were oppressing the Jews, God was multiplying them. And now they come up with this plot to kill out the Jewish boys as they are born. And so Pharaoh called in the heads of the midwives, who are referred to as Shifra and Pua, and who were told by our sages refers to Yocheved and her daughter Miriam. And these heads of the midwives are supposed to make sure that when any midwife sees a boy born, they're supposed to kill the boy. But we're told the midwives feared God and they didn't do it. So now they are defiant. They're not listening to Pharaoh. So we're in chapter 1, verse 18. The king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing? You have kept the boys alive. Here they ignored what Pharaoh said. Pharaoh said, kill every boy. And they ignored it and kept the boys alive. Now the reason why he wanted the boys killed is because he had been told by his astrologers that a boy would be born who would save the Jewish people. At the same time, of course, he was looking at a means to decrease and wipe out the population of the Jews. He was specifically targeting the boys because he knew also from the boys would be the savior. <laughs> midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are unlike the Egyptian women, for they are midwives. Before the midwives come to them, they are given birth. So now the midwives had to make them an excuse. So the excuse they're saying is they're, the word is chayos. That's the word the Torah uses, which Rashi explains, based on is means like a midwife. Just, it's from like the word chay, life, just so the midwife delivers the baby, brings out life. So they're, they're midwives themselves. Before we get there, the baby's already born. We couldn't do it. Another interpretation of chayos is like chayos, animals. That we see that the Jewish women are compared to animals. Animals don't even realize, they give birth on their own. Now, where they compared to animals, we see in the blessings both of Jacob and Moses, of Yaakov and Misha, that they compare them to lots of different animals. Either the tribe was specifically compared like like Judah as the lion, Benjamin as the wolf, Joseph as the ox. And we know that all the blessings of the tribes refer to all the tribes. Really all of the tribes had references to animals. The animals, they don't need us. And additionally, it's written that our mother, that's from the, the prophet Hefkel, that our mother's like a lioness. So that shows that this is true for all Jews, that all of the Jewish people are compared to these animals. So they don't need midwives. They already have the baby before we're born, so how can we kill the baby? God, the next verse says, God did good to the midwives, and the people increased and became very strong. The Rashi, first we have here, a uh, grammatical Rashi. You look at the Hebrew, it's vayetev, As versus vayitav. Rashi explains that when you have a root word of two letters, like here we have two letters, tes and vase and in the initially before it is placed the vav and the yud in the beginning, we could have like, here, we have tese, and we can have above and in the beginning. Now, there's two options. Either this word is causative, and here it's called Hefu, or it's not causative. If it's causative, then in the third-person singular past tense, we're going to vocalize it with a tese, as we see here, vayetim, or it could be with a sego, vayetav, and whenever it's vocalized in that way, we know the word is causative. It's hyphial. It causes something to happen to others. Like here, God caused it to be good to the midwife. But if it's not causative, there's just a simple normative ver- verb. It's the exact same idea. Two-letter were preceded by vavanguot. They're first in singular past tense. Then instead of being vocalized with the zayr with the segol, it's going to be vocalized with the chirek, the e. Va'yitap. Va'yitap means it was good in his eyes. It's not positive to something else. It's simply good in the eyes of the person himself. And Rashi gives many examples for these concepts. So some look at this verse and say, "And God made it good for the for the midwife." And the Jewish field became many in strong, And that was the good. Here, these Midwives risked their lives to defy Pharaoh to make sure the Jews continued. And that was the good that God paid them back. But how Rashi looks at it is he connects the good not to the next phrase and the people multiplied, but rather to the next verse. So Rashi says, what well, was this goodness? He says, what's well, stated in the next verse? So in the next verse it says, and it was because the midwives feared God that he made houses for them. Mm-hmm. And the houses, Rashi explains, are houses of the priesthood, of the Leviah, being from the tribe of Levi, and of royalty, all of which are referred to in various verses as houses. So from Yochavez, who was the mother of Aaron and Moses, came the priesthood, Kahuna, from Aaron, and Levia, the Levites, for Moses. And from Miriam, Yocheved's daughter, came royalty because Miriam was ultimately the ancestress of King David. So From her came royalty, from Yocheved came the priesthood and the Levites. These are the houses that God blessed these midwives with because of their self-sacrifice to ensure the continuation of the Jewish people. Pharaoh so saw that it wasn't going to work with the Jewish midwives, so he just cases okay, he can't he wants to be a little subtle, it's not gonna work, so he's gonna be very overt. Pharaoh commanded to all his people, saying, Every son that will be born into the river shall you throw him, and every daughter shall you keep alive. So when it says actually he commanded to all his people, this is referring specifically on the day that Moses was born, on the seventh of Andar, because on that day Pharaoh's astrologers told him, today the Savior has been born. We don't know if he's Egyptian or, or Jewish. Like, they picked up something weird about him. Egyptian, Jewish, we're not sure. And we see his destiny is to be stricken through water. They said, okay, you don't know if he's Egyptian or Jewish? Well, every boy is going to die today. Egyptian and Jewish. And we're going to throw him in the water, and that's where we're going to kill him, because he has to be stricken by water. So we're going to strike him. We'll take care of it for him. Of course, was stricken by water it wasn't what happened with Pharaoh but many years later he was stricken he was struck by the waters of Mehmeriva which of course in what happened there prevented him from entering Israel so that's how he was struck by water and the Lord Shereb explains this concept here of saying Every son you're gonna throw in the water and every daughter you should keep alive. The same way Pharaoh wanted the physical death for the males, he wanted the spiritual death for the females, because keep them alive don't just want them. No, keep them proactively alive as Egyptians. And also we really see this in the death given to the boys, because the Nile was the god of the Egyptians, the, the god of their finances, because from the Nile came the water, came their their crops. So by throwing the boys into the Nile, allegorically, we're drowning them in the god the Egyptians are worshipping, the god of money. And of course, being that this was the first exile, the prototype of all, we see this drowning in the gods of the culture around us, and drowning in the gods of money specifically, is of course something we're so afflicted with Till today. A man went to the house of Levi and he took a daughter of Levi. So this man was Amram and this daughter of Levi that he took was Yochavet. What's going on here? Well, when Pharaoh made these horrific decrees against the children, Amram, the leader of the Jewish people, separated from his wife Yochavet. He said, we, we can have children if this is what's going on. And then, Miriam, his young daughter of 4 or 5 at the time, she said to her, her father, she said, your decree is worse than Pharaoh's. Pharaoh's only decreeing on, on the boys. You're decreeing on everyone. There's not going to be any kids. Because it wasn't only that Amram separated from Yohad, but since he was the leader of the Jews, the Jewish people followed his example, and everyone separated from their wives. So, hey, there's no babies going to be born anymore. You're you're, you're wiping out the Jews more effectively than Pharaoh. And I had a prophecy that we're going to have a child who's going to be the Savior. And Amram listened to his daughter, and he took his wife. And truly, of course, Moses was born, who was the Savior from that taking. That's interesting. She's not called by her name. Usually when you're when you're young and you, you, you're not yet established, so you're called by your family's name. But as you develop yourself, you call called by your own name. Here's Yocheved. She was the head midwife of the entire Egypt. She should be called by her name, Yocheved. But she wasn't because it's as if to imply she went back to being a girl. Here at this point, she's 130 years old. She's called the daughter of Levi because God gave her this youth to be able to mother Moses. Now, how do you know she was 130? She says, was born when the Jews just entered Israel, Egypt. The Jews were in Egypt for 210 years, and Moses was 80 when they left. If she was born right when they entered, and Moses was 80 when they left, she was 130 when she gave birth to him. It's interesting That's such a miracle and the the verses don't even really reference it at all. Because at that time, so many miracles were flying. So many miracles were happening. In fact, a 130-year-old woman now suddenly returns to her youth and has a baby. It wasn't, wasn't even worth mentioning. The woman conceived and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was good and she hid him for three months. The goodness refers to light. Because it says that when Moses was born the house was full of light and this concept of good is what God said in reference to the creation of light and God saw the light that it was good. Now this light is the light of Tyra because when Moses was born Tyra entered the world. Moses was like the human embodiment of Tyra. That's why I said Moses never died even though we know the date of his passing. <laughs> But he lives on eternally in the living body of the next leader of the Jews because he's Torah, and Torah can't have any stoppage. It has to continue uninterrupted, unchanged, eternally in the human embodiment by the leader of the generation. So when Moses is born, this is when Torah enters the world and then continues uninterrupted from that point. That was the light of Moses' birth. Literally, the light of Torah. So she hides him for three months and then says she was no longer able to hide him. So she took him, for him, a reed basket and smeared it with clay and tar. She placed the boy into it and placed it along the reeds at the bank of the river. So why could she no longer hide him? Because the Egyptians were watching her. From when she remarried Amram. Of course, it was a very public thing because when Amram remarried Yocheved, this was a sign and all the Jews saw it and all the Jews remarried their wives. Lots and lots of marriages happening, lots and lots of joy happening at that moment in the Jewish people. The Egyptians were watching because they watched whenever someone got married to count for babies. So they counted and they were like, okay, nine months over, she has this baby. What they didn't know was that God made a tremendous kindness. Moses was born approximately three months early. He was born six months and a day. So we had three months that she was able to hide him. But at the end of her nine-month period, she knew the Egyptians were going to come for him. This is when she puts him in the Nile with tar on the outside and plaster on the inside so that Moses, this great holy subject already at this point, shouldn't have to smell the bad odor of the tar. And she put it among the reeds. This was a swamp land, it was full of thin reeds. Now what did she think was going to happen? She had no clue what was going to happen. All she knew was she had to do whatever she could to save her baby and trust God. So if she left him in the house, of course God could do anything, but she knew the additions were coming. Putting him in a basket in the water, Okay that's well, well. we've got open plan open he's supposed to be the Savior he's supposed to survive this let's see what's going to happen his sister stationed herself at a distance show it will be done with him now why was Miriam his sister so invested remember it was her prophecy about which he was born she had a prophecy as a small child she had a prophecy she, went five. she had a prophecy a brother would be born and be savior. And this was the brother. And, and like, it worked, right? Right away, under 30 gets pregnant. Six months later, he's born. The house is full of light, the light of Tyre. Everything's happening, but hey, now we're, now we're, now Sorry, I to the river. So what's happening? What's going to happen with the prophetic vision she was privy to? Pharaoh's daughter went down to the bath by the river and her maidens walked along the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and she sent her maidservants and she took it. So the daughter of Pharaoh is going by the river to bathe. Near the river. And it says that her maidservants are going with her. So what does this mean? They're going, they're walking among the reeds. So the rabbis say this going is merely meaning like going to die because these maidservants were actually, when she saw the basket and realized it was a child and she wanted to save him, the maidservant's like, come on, it's obviously a Jewish child. Like, I mean, what what good Egyptian child is is in a basket in the river? Obviously, some Jewish woman is Mm. trying to save her baby by some strange means. You can't do this. You're going to be saving a Jewish child. So she ignored them and did it. She asked them to bring in the baby, and he wouldn't, so she just did whatever she could. She stretched her hand. And then God extended her arm long enough that she could pull in the baby herself, which is a tremendous concept for all of us that so many times we're challenged by things that are too big for us. We can't do them. We can't possibly accomplish them. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to try. We're supposed to stretch forth our hand. Yeah, but my hand's not big enough for this issue. Fine, that's true, too. But we stretch forth our hand, and then we let God do His wonders. So her maidservants were refusing to bring in the baby. She stretches forth what she had, her arm, to get the baby, and it was no way it could reach. And God extended and extended and extended her arm, so she could put the baby in. is actually, this is what it means when it says, and she sent her maidservant and she took it. So the word is amasa. So amasa could mean her, 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 her slave, but it could also mean her arm. So she took her, she sent her arm and she took it, but her arm became lengthened many amos, many cubits, to to reach that basket. So again, this is an amazing lesson for all of us to stretch forth your arm, stretch forth your hand, and then let God do what he's going to do, but you're doing your part, you're stretching out your hand. She opened it and saw him, the boy. And behold, a youth was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. So she opened it and she saw him. Well, could she see? she saw the boy? That's a simple meaning, but on the Madrashic level, what she saw was a divine presence that was with Moses already at this point, as we said before. And it was like a youth crying. Here he's a three-month-old baby, but he was already so developed, his voice was like that, of a youth. So here she realizes that this is a and she decides she's keeping this. His sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, remember, Miriam was waiting in the reeds, shall I go and summon for you a wet nurse from the Hebrew woman who will nurse the baby for you? So what happened was that Here she has this little baby who's crying. And she tries to get all these different Egyptian women to nurse him, but he wouldn't nurse because he was going to speak with God. He wasn't going to nurse from a not Jewish woman. And here Miriam comes in the scene and says, oh, maybe he'd like a Jewish woman. Let me find you someone. I can find you. (laughs) His own mother. That's what she did here. The daughter of Pharaoh said, Go. The young girl went and summoned the baby, the boy's mother. So she went, the young girl, so that's how she's referred to here. He says, showing she went into the vigorous manner, like, like the youth, the vigorous manners of the youth. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Here, when Miriam came back with the mother of Moshe, sure with Yohevin. Take this boy and nurse him for me, and I'll give you—I'll give your pay. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. So now, suddenly, look how God turned around the whole situation. Instead of being terrified that her baby, her newborn baby, is going to be found by the Egyptians, she's publicly, so to speak, able to have this baby. Oh, this is Pharaoh's daughter's baby that I'm nursing, and she was able to raise him in her house without any fear because. Tara's daughter's baby that I'm nursing. So she said, hey, Lichi, take, which is the usual word for take. And this is really the prophetic spirit because if you break down the word, it means hey, Shalichi. Here, hey, here, Shalichi. That which is yours. Take, take, Take what's yours back. The boy grew up and she brought him to the daughter of Pharaoh, and he was a son to her. She called his name Moses, as she said, for I drew him from the water. So obviously Yocheved kept the baby, her baby, as long as she could, and then she had to bring him back to Pharaoh's daughter, whose name was Basia. And Basia gave him a name. It's interesting because Moses had many names. His parents. Gave him a name also. I think it's the name Moses. They gave him, I believe, the name Eukasil. But Pharaoh's daughter gave him Moses, and that is the name that Torah uses for him. That is the name by which he's known. So what does Moses mean? So she says, Because I drew him from the water. The Rashi explains this to mean, as the Targum Uncle says, that I I took him out from the water. Or the more precisely in the Hebrew, I removed him from the water. But, Rashi says that he disagrees with those that say that the root word is the Mem Shin, as Menachem classified in his dictionary, which is the concept of this removal Because really, the word isn't removal, the word is taking out.